Welcome, True Believer readers, to another episode of Let's Read Spider-Man. And here is a guy who knows the difference between a bagel and a bugle, my friend Eddie. How are you doing today, Eddie? One makes trumpety noises, and the other one might help me gain some weight, right? No? I think bagels are relatively healthy, but have you ever played a bugle? I have played a bugle before. Not very well, but, you know, I could lead a cavalry charge if I had to, I think. If there is a need of a cavalry, there's another job for you, another job opportunity. (laughs) James B., today we are going to talk about two issues of the Petrified Tablet Saga, which we have talked about in previous podcasts. That's right. Uh, Today we're also going to have back a guest who we haven't had on as recently, but we did have her on a previous podcast. Uh, Welcome back to uh, Sarah Pizzell. We're always happy to have you join us. Sarah, why don't you remind listeners who maybe didn't listen to the review of Amazing Spider-Man Annual 4 a little bit about yourself and uh, tell us what you hope to bring to our show today. Well, I am a orchestra teacher. I teach first through eighth grade. And of course, I had to plug that. Uh, <laughs> the I, I've listened to a lot of the, the show since I've been on it last. And I'm just really excited to talk about the books and share what I know about Spider-Man. And another thing is it's really nice to be able to talk to people who know about Spider-Man more in depth. It's just cool to be able to talk with people like that. And, and you also were appreciative of J. Jonah Jameson mentioning a bugle in this comic book, I presume. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will uh, turn things over to Eddie. Eddie, let us talk about the first of these two issues today and uh, take it away. All right. The Amazing Spider-Man 72, rocked by the Shocker. Zack! The Shocker is knocking out Captain Stacy. As Gwen runs in, the Shocker reassures us Captain Stacy is only stunned because he's there to steal the ancient tablet Spidey recently dropped off. Hold on for a second, Eddie. Um, Eddie, if you remember in the last podcast we did, Captain Stacy has been giving criminology lessons about heroes and villains fighting. That's I why think he, the, that's, he knows the shocker, right? Yeah, I think the shocker is like, hold on, I'm coming here because I do not approve of the sea level uh, villain ship that you must have afforded me, and uh, didn't even, you know, didn't didn't meet his standards. I think that's why he is here to to rough up Captain Stacy. What do you think? I think you might be onto something right there. It bruised his ego a little bit since he's later on in the presentation after other villains. Well, I'm more interested in how the newspapers know Captain Stacy has the tablet and exactly why no one else is going to get it from him, I guess. Come on. Okay, I got this. I should get a no prize for this, by the way. Um, okay. Spider-Man was the last reported person with this tablet, and that was written in the newspapers. And Peter even gave the Daily Bugle photos of himself protecting this tablet from the kingpin. So maybe the shot knew that Spidey wouldn't drop it off to the police station and instead he would bring it to someone he trusts. So Spider-Man even said that in the last issue in 71. And Shocker couldn't have had more than a handful of people he thought of that Spider-Man would give the tablet to. What do you think, James B.? This is a little bit of a stumper for me too. I started thinking back, was it possible that he was he was seen, you know, swinging over to Captain Stacy's place and handing it off? Maybe Maybe it wasn't a big deal. Maybe Captain Stacy just simply told the authorities, don't worry, I have the tablet. And the news spread to Joe Robbie. Joe Robbie has a better relationship with everybody compared to J. Jonah Jameson. So maybe <laughs> maybe they just knew. I think he just might have told someone. It wasn't a secret. But one of those two theories, I'm sure, is the, uh, I'm sure is the right one, Eddie. Wow. Well, I'm going to move on. After an easy theft, the shocker 
takes the tablet to a local pawn shop where he learns no criminal would touch the tablet out of fear of retribution from the kingpin. Unhappy, he begins to destroy the shop. Spidey gets word of the commotion at the pawn shop, catches up to the shocker, and fights him until the shocker decides to flee, but not before he's tagged by a Spidey tracker. Um, I Can I interrupt again, Eddie? Sure. I have to read the narrator's passage on page 10. And now, for the benefit of Aunt May's countless fans, we happily present one of the few scenes which doesn't show her at death's door. Ah, uh, Eddie. I lost my mind here. This was amazing. I'm so, so happy that we've been talking about this all the time, really. And now here it is. And they're like, oh, by the way, we know it too. What, did, what, did you lose your mind when you saw this? I, it's Just the me? best, one of the best parts of this issue. And I had never considered to be a fan of Aunt May, but from this day forth, count me in. I'm a fan. Okay. Aunt May, she's here. Peter's sending her off. Sarah, all kidding aside, how important is Aunt May's presence in Peter's life? Well, I think that Aunt May is the most important thing in Peter Parker's life because he'll do anything for her. He's constantly working his butt off to get pictures of himself being Spider-Man to sell to the Daily Bugle, to get money so that he can live, but also to help support Aunt May. I mean, even in this issue, he pays for her trip to Florida. Whenever she's in the hospital, he's doing whatever he can to help, whether it's giving his own blood, paying for her hospital stay, or even visiting any chance he can, which, as we know, he's a busy guy. Um, he's distraught by the thought of ever losing her in his life, whether that be literally or her not talking to him. Um, and that's one of the reasons he won't tell her that he is Spider-Man. I just think that of all the people and things in Spider-Man, Peter Parker's life, Aunt May is the most important. I gotta agree with you. I mean, I've said it many times, Spider-Man would be a villain if Aunt May wasn't around. So totally agree, Sarah. Good, good analysis of Aunt May. Um, I'm going to continue on Peter's bank account. Uh, allows him to send Aunt May on vacation to Florida. Peter considers joining her so that he can work with Dr. Connors. But for now, he is too busy focusing on defeating the Shocker. We flash to a lunatic in a hospital, J. Jonah Jameson. J. Jonah is not happy with how his paper is being run while he's in recovery. Sarah, you were just talking about Aunt May and how important she is. Do you think he could have ignored Aunt May here and focused on the Shocker? No, you know, this is one thing that I didn't like about this issue. Um, Although Aunt Aunt May is the most important thing in his life, I don't think he would ever let someone like the Shocker run around free. Often Peter makes these difficult choices between the safety of others over himself, and every time he's choosing other people. I think it's unlike Spider-Man, Peter Parker's character, to just throw a spider tracer on the Shocker and leave him to go see Aunt May off to Florida. Um, you know, he's always talking about with great power comes great responsibility. Uncle Ben said this. He lives by this. He can't just let the shocker be someone else's problem. What about all the people that could get hurt? That's what he would guilt himself with. What do you think, Eddie? Uh, I got to agree with you. He's he's not going to let the shocker go free. And I would say actually in this, I know we think of Spider-Man as very altruistic, but like he has several problems in this issue. And to take his mind off those problems, he chooses to go after the shocker. So uh, it's a little bit, Peter kind of needs Spider-Man to do these things, when he, particularly when he's having trouble in his personal life. Um, but you're right. He would, he would never like let a... C-class villain, according to Captain Stacy, go free around the city, right? And I don't need to pile on here, but he does ignore his friends and his other responsibilities all the time for this type of stuff, right? He's always, Mm -hmm. 
annoying. Where you know, think how often Gwen's been mad at him because he's missing. She's calling him a coward. Mm. She thinks he's running off all the time, and he's like, "Well, he doesn't stay there and say I need to stand here." So Gwen knows how much I love her. He's like, nope, I'm taking off. I don't care the consequences. It's just for Aunt May that he made this decision. Uh, Eddie, why don't we try to wrap this thing up? Okay. Meanwhile, Peter consoles Gwen by making a Spider-Man joke as she is retelling the story of her father's attack. When they arrive at the coffee bean, he starts a fight with Flash. Gwen lashes him with an insult, and Peter walks home in the rain, pondering his childishness. Sarah, did they did they swear on page 14? <laughs> <laughs> Stan Lee and James B. don't think this is a bad word. That could be the case, James B. Uh, nearby, the Shocker robs an armored car, but Spidey shows up and defeats him with his Sunday punch. We end with Spidey thinking about his bad luck. Oh, nice job, by the way, on the uh, summary, Eddie. Uh, thank you, sir. Okay. Uh, there's got to be some things we didn't cover in here. Uh, Sarah, do you got a thought you want to share with us about this issue? Yeah, I, uh, other than the one thing I didn't like, which I shared earlier, um, I really did love this issue. I think it had a great balance of Peter Parker's story and Spider-Man's story. We got to see more into his love life with Gwen. We got to see some drama with Flash Thompson and also some fights with the Shocker. I believe there were two separate ones. Um, although I do feel bad for J. Jonah Jameson because he's had it rough the <laughs> past couple of issues. You feel bad for J. Jonah Jameson? My goodness. This is a statement, Sarah. That, He's that losing his <laughs> mind. Did you we even talk about it? He he has built robots and like genetically engineered villains to go after Spider-Man. I'm glad well, you could put those Well, it's all part of his the therapy. <laughs> Want destruction of the uh, of the city. All right, fine. No, I feel bad for him. I can't wait for him to get back to the bugle and you know himself he's always he's always interesting when he's in charge of the bugle so i, I just like the fact that when they life. give him the uh, tranquilizer that he still has a cigar in his mouth <laughs> he does too. Yeah. yeah this man smokes a cigar in the hospital when he's supposed to be in recovery <laughs> i totally missed that even when he's asleep uh in addition to not really covering in the summary you know the section about J. Jonah jameson because it wasn't you know that critical there's a piece here that um sarah just referenced that has flash in it and i was wondering you know, I don't know the 1969 lingo, uh, so I was reading the section twice about Flash talking to Gwen, and I wasn't sure, like, is he really being super forward with her, or is Peter being too jealous? Because so many times when people see Gwen Stacy, they're always like, hey, gorgeous Gwen, hey, beautiful, or, oh, she's looking extra pretty today. Like, they're hammering that home all the time, and I'm not sure if I'm supposed to accept the fact that, like, well, if I saw Gwen Stacy, I would just walk up to her and be all goo goo gaga too, and I should just expect that from everybody. Or was Flash crossing a line? And the fact that I can't decide, I think, is is, is good writing. I think it's mm. bad luck for Peter that Gwen's calling him a boy and calling Flash a man. I mean, that's that's a sick burn in 1969. Mm. Um, I I have one from this issue too. Can someone tell me why Spidey couldn't just web the Shocker's thumbs again so he can't use his vibroshock things? That's what he's he did already last done time. that. So he can't do it again? No, he's <laughs> got to find a different way. Can, can we assume the Shocker knows that that could be happening and he's sort of better prepared for it? Maybe he upgraded that... his gear? There's there's a moment where he gets webbed and he's like, I can instantly free myself by vibro shop, shocking the webs loose. But he's still got to push his thumbs, right? I guess. 
All right, fair enough. He he found some way to vibroshock his. No, your your point's yeah. good. It's it's good. I mean, you're not we're not poo pooing that you're asking. the The shocker doesn't he come in talking right away like, "Ha ha, I've got a new plan. I'm bigger and better than ever." Isn't that kind of his attitude? That is his implication. I just yeah. I didn't notice any change in him. Other you, than you think he's like the molten man? He just comes in talking smack and has no difference at all. Maybe he's. He, I think he thinks he's smarter than he was last time, and I don't think he's any smarter. Sorry, Shocker. Also, the Shocker is—he's stealing the tablet from money, right? That's, that's what. He, why would he take it to the pawn shop if he and, wasn't doing that? And then when things don't work out, he's like, "Well, I'll just go rob an armored car instead." Several several tantrums in the same issue for the Shocker. But and JJ but Sarah, we talked about there's two separate fights. The second one, he's going for the armored car, right? Yeah. And yeah, the first one's with the tablet, and the second one's with the car. Yeah, so maybe the first time, maybe just just go do the armored car and not get Spider-Man involved in this next time. You know what I'm saying? Might be easier. <laughs> or, you know, that didn't seem like a big enough job before, but you know, whatever. Well, if you were a supervillain, wouldn't you be excited by ripping off an armored car? Just saying. <laughs> I'm like, well, if he's got a rep for stealing money, to, what what were you doing involved in that you know, hieroglyphics nonsense? Like, pick your lane. Let's find out what happens to this tablet. In Amazing Spider-Man 73, the web closes. We open with Captain Stacy uh, taking over Aunt May's job of laying in bed. Spidey startled him when he appears in his bedroom to ask about where the Shocker may have hidden the tablet. The captain thinks an ex-girlfriend of the Shocker might have it, and Spidey swings off. Uh, Spidey's very careful about not scaring Aunt May, but... He just appears unannounced in Captain Stacy's bedroom. This is no problem. Everybody's okay with that. Captain Stacy's not okay with it. He he calls him up for it. <laughs> I know. What is he thinking? You and I. But thinking. he he leaves it real quick. He's like, oh, okay. Anyway, what are you here for? That doesn't make it he okay. Just, yeah. All right. What do you want to know? <laughs> all you, right. All right. Hold on. And I was joking. I was joking earlier. Like, I mean, obviously, I was joking a lot. But when I said Captain Stacy's criminology lesson on the shocker. But but he's like, well, I think I might know the ex girlfriend yeah. of the shocker. I have that in my, I have her trading card. I'm like, yeah. really? This guy? That's the level of where he thinks the tablet is? Like what? I was stunned when he yelled out "shocker" when he recognized him immediately. And then I thought, like, uh, this man is giving presentations to the Midtown Businessmen's Club about these guys. So well, not not a stretch at all. We've we've talked in the past when Spider Man needs to find a location. There has to be a radio playing that he can listen to. He has to look it up in the papers. He likes to swing by the bugle, right? Yeah, and check correct. in on JJ and, and hear uh-huh. somebody talking about something. But they're like, how are we going to find... He's like, this time he swings by Captain Stacy's house. This is another source of information. So if you want to go right. somewhere, just you could uh, you could just swing by an apartment building and say, hey, tell me what's going on. So um, speaking of apartments, Eddie, what, uh, tell us what happens next. In short time... Spidey finds an apartment with a scared woman and a giant aggressive man working for the Magia named Man Mountain Marco. Spider-Man has a lot of trouble fighting the giant. We cut to the Kingpin's old confidant, Wilson, being bailed out by a mysterious associate of the Magi. Could be, think think of Mafia, just make it like Magia. You know what I mean? Magia. Oh boy. All right. Back just say the, in the just say the mob. Just say the mob. <laughs> All right. Back in the apartment, Man Mountain Marco finds the tablet, grabs the frightened lady, and drops her out a window. Spidey jumps to her aid, which gives Marco time to escape. Marco takes the tablet to his boss at the the mob. <laughs> <laughs> 
How convenient. Um, <laughs> one thing I noticed, though, is, like, how... Okay, so Spider-Man's Spider-Sense was able to lead him to this random apartment building. Like, he's swinging around, trying to find the, sh- the Shocker's ex-girlfriend. And he's all of a sudden, he's like, oh, I'm zeroing in on this apartment. Oh, she's here. Like, how, how does that even work? I, I, I thought he just needed to have the spider tracers or the frequency to be able to find something. Am I wrong here? We've, we've talked about this, right? I've it, talked about this so many times. In the very beginning, he can like go miles to find, uh, to find something. He can, he can use the spider yes. sense. And then later it becomes, he needs his little spider tracers. So the writing here, which Sarah, you're absolutely correct. He, he does even say something like, I don't even think I know her name, but don't <laughs> worry. It will be more sporting this way. Like, you know, more of a challenge. And it was only, it was narrowed down to one neighborhood. So the argument is how big is a neighborhood? You know, how big is a neighborhood? If you think it's oh. a couple blocks. Um, so he was bouncing around waiting for his spider sense to tingle. You know, I declare this a stretch for the spider sense, but I'm going to continue over at the Bugle. Joe Robbery is offering sage advice to his son. When Jay Jonah crashes in, calling Joe Robbie everything awful for supporting Spider-Man uh, in his absence. It looks like Joe will quit when Jay Jonah kindly apologizes. Is is this the closest we're ever going to get to a an apology from Jay Jonah? <laughs> he says, I accept your apology. <laughs> when really and truly, Jay Jonah should have been apologizing. But uh, that's as close as we'll get. Um, after the fight, Peter heads home to call Dr. Connors, but finds out he's left his Everglades lab with unknown men. We end with a very uncomfortable Doc Connors, against his will, face-to-face with the old Magia boss in New York. Um, this uh, this Magia boss here, uh, Silvermane's going to, he, he'll be back. You know what I'm saying? He's, he's a guy. It's... Okay. Like, you could call this like first appearance Silvermane. It would it would mean something as opposed to just being like I don't yeah. know the, the mm-hmm. boss's name is Silvermane. Um, while we're while we're talking about, about future villains and such, there was a line on page nine, which and I don't know if this will mean anything to you, Sarah, because you're you know your Spider Verse is kind of your your world, pun intended. Mm-hmm. But the line to the <laughs> cop, um, he, he says like you know the cop turns to Wilson as Wilson's being bailed out by uh, Caesar Cicero, who, you know, works for the Magia here, works for Silvermane. He's, he's the guy, he's the conciliar or whatever. And he says, um, if you're going out with a character like him, I feel you'll be back here pretty soon. Why not think it over, Wilson? And Wilson's like, mister, I'd take off with Typhoid Mary just to get out of here. Um, you know, <laughs> you kind of have to mention that Typhoid Mary also uh, you know, a hired a hired assassin in the future from, from the Kingpin. So just kind of funny. It's not what they're really referring to in 1969, but. But it makes it even funnier knowing that. Yeah. It's because this would have been one of our Eddie's like, uh, you know, dated references. Like Typhoid Mary was uh, the carrot. She was the, was the chef that spread the disease. Right. And I'm like, (laughs) that's really what they mean when they write it here. But I'm thinking, uh, yeah, she's going to be a, she's going to pop up my daredevil run in the two sixties somewhere, two fifties. And she's going to be a, and then she's also in uh, the in the MCU. She would be in the Iron Fist two uh, season two mm-hmm. Iron Fist, which mm-hmm. Eddie, you should oh. be dancing around because I know you've been rewatching Daredevil. I, just yes, that is correct. Okay. Um, and I believe there was a one shot, a Typhoid Mary Spider Man one shot. I 
I have it. I, I don't remember the story, um, but I know that was a thing. Okay, Eddie, we, uh, we talked a little before this podcast about Man Mountain Marco. And you were going to have us talk about what we disliked about him the most. Uh, yes. I, I had no problem with him at all. So what's your problem with him? I mean, this this has got to be one of my least favorite Spider-Mans overall, mostly because of this guy. I, what are my problems with this guy? Yeah, give me, I'll like, take I'll take one. You can, you can bring up one right, I'll, problem I'll with, with him. I'll go with the easy ones. Sure. <laughs> this guy goes toe-to-toe with Spider-Man in an apartment. Like, he's not the kingpin. How many, how many big people, big men, can fight Spider-Man besides uh, the kingpin? Now we got this guy. Ox. Enforcers, your, one of your favorite villain teams. <laughs> That's for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, we have three out there, but like, if any old chump that has no superpowers or anything special about them, no devices or whatnot, can just go toe to toe with Spider-Man now, and like, I'm not just saying like fought him, like knocked Spider-Man to the ground. He's got like time to boast about how he's beating Spider-Man and find a tablet and hang a lady out a window and drop her like it's impossible he's super fast and incredibly strong and he has no apparent superpowers so your problem is he's just good that's that's your issue you want him to be like you want him to lose the fight there's no way he can be this good period i there's no way okay well no i don't think he's i don't think he dominates spider-man okay if you look at, you know, I'm looking panel by panel just to see what you're trying to talk about. Like he punches him once, right? Hits him with a chair. That's like, like a wrestler. Who cares about that, right? He misses him with a kick. And then he takes a girl and chucks her out the window. I mean, he gets, it's, it's. He, Spider-Man he, kicks this guy into a wall. He goes upside down. This is his Sunday punch that he gives him. And, or he, I guess he chucks him. He doesn't hit him. And like, that doesn't bring this guy down. You're trying to tell me this guy is stronger than the Shocker that we just read about. Like The Shocker well, took one punch and was done. Spider-Man doesn't know him. So he's probably like really pulling his punches. Oh, he doesn't want to hurt Man Mountain Marco. Spider-Man doesn't kill people. I know that. Not, not intentionally, not except for that guy in Annual Five with the missiles there. All right, all we right, don't fine. Talk about that. Moving on. Uh, I, Actually, I, before we move on, okay, can can we can we get our sponsor out of the way because? All right, let's do it. You know, I, Eddie. Sometimes people need a job during the holidays. Uh, example: college kids might want to be a mover, but not everyone can be a mover. I mean, okay. How many movers do we need? Do you agree? We only know affinitive quantity. I agree. Okay. So, Eddie, if you're a strong, fit person and you can't get a job as a mover, what are you to do? I'll tell you what to do. Consider a part-time holiday job with the Magia. Now, throughout its history, Eddie, the Magia have controlled everything from mall Santas to the highest levels of government. That's really good. Its members become accepted in parts of their neighborhoods and the cities they inhabit. They're glorified by movies, Eddie. You know that. And in television. You could work for them part-time this holiday season. Okay, you're thinking, oh, I can't rip a seat in half with my bare hands. Eddie, that's okay. From hieroglyphic readers to corporate travel agents to just wrestling Magia bosses, there's lots of room for part-time employment and growth. 
Eddie, the Magia is a proud sponsor of Soul Parade. And this part-time employment is open to U.S. residents age 12 and older, regardless of heritage. So, Eddie, are you considering being part of the Magia this winter? Uh, you know, James B., I'm a little concerned for you. I, I'm pretty sure you don't have a member of the Magia right there with you because we're going to need like a, a safe word just in case someone's forcing you to do these sponsors. We are advertising for this organization. That, that's who we're advertising for. Eddie, first of all, this is a part-time job. And think of how many times you've seen the Machia. And wait, you're not under distress right now, right, James B? You're, you're, Eddie. You're going to have to like tell me the first issue Dr. Doom shows up so that I'm gonna that'll repeat, be our code word. Uh, Eddie, I, I don't wait, know how close you're listening. Sarah, th- Sarah, would you like a job as a, as a hieroglyphic reader or a corporate travel agent? Th- these are available right now. Let's are say you got a. It's better than my teacher's job? Well, all you need to do is sit around and it'll say like, hey, go get uh, this scientist and bring him to us. And you're like, boom, make the arrangements, hotel, airfare, help help them out. You don't have to be a big brute. This is a big so organization. no kidnapping. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it doesn't say yes or no specifically in the, in the copy, but I'm just saying <laughs> you can get a job there. Eddie, you must yeah. know some corporate travel agents who are looking for jobs. Yeah. Yes, James B. Of course I would like to work for the Magia. They must be the best organization ever. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. Well, I'm glad that you finally came to your senses. Um, Speaking of uh, finally coming to your senses, is there anything that you want to discuss finally about this whole set of two issues? Um, One thing that I really liked in the last issue is how uh, Robbie stood up for himself against J. Jonah Jameson about what he printed in the paper when um, JJJ was in the hospital. Um, Especially, uh, you mentioned briefly the conversation that him and Randy had, and I just thought it was really important at that moment for Robbie to show Randy that he's really a man of his morals. And I think that's just so spot on with Robbie's character and for what he stands for as well. It's a great little scene right there. A real, like the heart to heart father and son as they kind of navigate the world that is so difficult for them being people of color, you know, working for Jay Jonah otherwise. So, yeah, I, he's such a great guy, Joe Robbie. And when he puts Jay Jonah in his place, it it's one of the best parts of all of these comics, I think. Anything else you guys want to talk about? Are we, are we good? Uh, just about how terrible this comic was. <laughs> Really? I hated, I hated that's, this that's, one. I, I thought it was so dumb. 73, you didn't like it? 73, terrible. Did I think like that's, it. I can see why you, I'm not going to be like, you're crazy, but I just didn't have a problem with this. This I'm is the, tired, this, I know, uh, you're tired of people who aren't tired like, of the, well, you want shockers, the, you want people with yeah. you know, villains and super we, we people. Like, we've like moved into a new era where like atomic energy is not around anymore and this kind of like, you know, fantastic superpowers apparently are gone. And then I'm, we're stuck on this stupid tablet. I really am sick of the tablet and what it's going to be. At least there was more development towards the tablet in this one. But uh, I hated all the fight scenes. I was like, just finish him off, Spidey. And then it's really sinister how he, like, picks up the, the woman who I also think is like, why does she have to be an exotic dancer? It's pretty harsh. And chucks her out a window and Spider-Man has to go save her. Oh. No, thank you. Wow. I actually tweeted about that exotic dancer thing on the spider panels, and that got a lot of retweets. 
Yeah. Speaking of spider panels, remind us again how we can uh, reach you, Sarah. Oh, yeah. Um, you can find me on Twitter at, at Sarah Pezzle or at spider underscore panel. And Eddie, where can you find us on Twitter? Uh, at Let's Read Spidey. Or you can always email us at Let's Read Spider-Man at gmail.com. And hopefully soon, Eddie will have our Facebook page up and we'll have some more information to tell you guys about. Next episode, Eddie, we might be able to finish off this petrified tablet storyline, which would make you really happy. But for now, why don't you send us out with a close? And remember, listeners, if Aunt May isn't laying in bed, Captain Stacy is laying in bed. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye. (laughs) Bye. And remember, listeners, the worst thing about Man Mountain Marco is his name. I knew that that was an (laughs) (laughs) What an atrocious name! Oh, I love that. That's This this is a Z-level villain. I, like, ugh, it's terrible. I would at least say a double B. Wow. I mean, (laughs) Shocker Shocker looks like he's great shakes compared to Man Mountain Marco. You know, I I was thinking about this. She's, like, always in bed when Peter's, like, having a hard time and when he's broke, to let it be noted. And then, like, he gets some money and she's like, yeah, I'd go to Florida. Like, why doesn't Aunt May just move to Florida if she's always feeling so good in Florida, you know? She'd be much safer and better off hiding away in Florida instead of, like, Doc Ock having tea with her every other day or whatever, so...